Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're continuing in our Christmas series, The Wonder. Next week, of course, we'll gather for our Christmas Eve celebration. Good to have you here this morning. I want to start with this thought. You recognize that certain things are some of the most impactful things that have occurred in history have only been witnessed by a few people. The most impactful things that have ever been seen or have ever been experienced have only been witnessed by a few people, those people who were in position and able to see them. One of those would be the shepherds that as they were watching the sheep, they're caring for the sheep, and on the night that Jesus was born, that the Bible says that there was a host of angels that gathered, and they got to experience this, and then they went from there. They said, come, let's go see what has happened, and I, I wonder that maybe it's not so much that God chose them, but that they were willing to be chosen. Sometimes that we're in the position to see what God, to see the wonders and to see the greatness of God at work is not because God chooses, just not just that God chooses us to see it, but that there's a choosing and a desire and a willingness that he has made that available to us, even for the shepherds. The Bible says that the, the angel came before them. It doesn't say came to them. It came before them. And because it came before them, it came with an opportunity. They didn't have to go into Bethlehem, but they willingly chose to position themselves to go to a place to experience the wonders of God. I wonder if for us, if we would be people who make sure that we position ourselves, that we're intentional, that we might see more of the wonders and the things of God that he's doing. Because could it be that we're sometimes not seeing the wonders or seeing the greatness of God because we've crowded it out like the Bethlehem Inn? That there's no room for it? There's no room to experience or to see because of what is, what is going on and what is around us. When you think of all the characters of the Christmas story, from Mary to Joseph to the wise men and the, the shepherds, that each of these were, were willing to be in position, that they went to a place, that they were willing to be, seen, to, to be used and to see and be a part of what God was doing. I want to look this morning specifically at Joseph because here is a man who is unassuming but he willingly allows himself to be in a process of being a part of one of the, not one of, but the most spectacular moments in his life to see. And here's what he gets the privilege of. He gets to announce the name of Jesus to all the world. Would you read with me in, in Matthew chapter 1, and would you stand as we look at this word together? And verse 18 is where we're going to start. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. This is how it took place. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You are to name him Jesus. This is the privilege that Joseph has, is that he gets to announce Jesus as his name 
to all of the world. He gets to not give the name. The Lord already gave him his name, but he got to announce it. He was able to be there for that great moment to see the wonder. I want to challenge us today that in this stage of our life, where we are, to be there in position to see the wonder and to see what God has in store. I want to share from this title today, The Space in Between. How are we filling the space that is in between. God, would you give us wisdom? I pray today it comes from you, and you said if we lack, we're to ask of you, and you'd give generously. So Lord, I thank you that you're a generous God. Would you generously give us wisdom today, God, to see our lives where we are according to your word, and Lord, allow it to work in us and bring us to where you have us to be today in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you just say amen? And on your way to being seated, just tell someone beside you, tell them you are in between something great. You're in between something great. Now, if there's someone sitting on the other side of them, you ought to just encourage that person because, uh, yeah. I'll let you figure out who's in the middle of greatness. You can, you can figure out who's in between something great. Uh, the space in between. It's one, thing to, it's one thing to recognize a result. It's another thing to recognize the process. When you see something that is a result of things that have occurred, you can identify the result, but when you see the process, it makes it altogether different. What's the difference between a gift and a wonderful gift? Well, a a gift is something that's given, but a wonderful gift is something considered. How many know that when there's a thought in the process, it makes it altogether different? That when there's thought given, it becomes of more value. It has more to it that when it's just a gift, it's just something selected. It's just something given. It's not a lot of thought. It doesn't really feel like there's a lot of meaning. It's just given. But when there's consideration put into it, it carries a whole different level. It's one thing to recognize the result of Jesus Christ coming, that we are saved by grace. How many are thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ that saves us? I know the result that I'm no longer lost, but I'm found, that I have a hope and eternity for heaven. I know the result. It's grace that saves me, but when I think about the process, it becomes amazing grace that that I sing. It's one thing to recognize that it is grace that saves me, but when I stop and think of the process, it becomes amazing. It's amazing to me that the Son of God left his throne, that Jesus, from the very foundation of the world, that he began in this process, he was a part of creation, that he left the throne room of heaven and came to our lowly place, that he was born like one of us, he went through the the, the things of life, that he suffered in the ways that we suffered, he was tempted as we were tempted, that he left what he left to come to where we are, that is amazing. That he found me in my place of brokenness and lifted me up. That many of the things that were my own choosing and my own rebellion and my own self-righteousness, I rejected him, but his love pursued me. He kept running after me. He never stopped chasing me down. His love for me is amazing. It's grace that saves me, but it's amazing grace when I recognize what he went through for me. When he's done all that he's done, it becomes amazing when you consider the process. You consider, here's Mary and Joseph and the process of what they went through. And here is Joseph, the privilege of being the the earthly father of the Son of God. Joseph is probably at this point in his life somewhere around 18 years old or so, 18 to 22 maybe. He's a young man himself, and now here is the woman that he has been engaged to, and she is somewhere around 13 or 14 years old. It's the Jewish culture and the custom. This young Jewish girl has given herself in in honoring the Lord, and Joseph, the, the same great young couple, they commit 
to being married and they're engaged. But the Bible says before the marriage had taken place. There was a space in between that they started the engagement, but before they got to the marriage, there was a space in between. And have you ever found out in life that sometimes the things you engage in don't always end up the way you thought they'd end? When things don't always go the way you thought it would go, how do you handle the space in between? How do you handle the in-between when something begins, but it doesn't quite go the way you've wanted it? You've, you've desired something. It's not quite happening the way we desired, the way that we want. How do we handle the space that's in between? This is Joseph, and he says to Mary, of course, they make the agreement. They're in the engagement, and for them in that culture, it's as good as being married. All he's waiting for is to pay the dowry, to get everything taken care of, and then come. It takes about a year that he would come to his, his bride's home. He would take her from her chambers, and then he would be hers. It was the process. Before that time could happen, something happened in between. Mary comes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, we need to talk. I'm putting on weight, not because I enjoy my own cooking, but I am pregnant. Now that right there is a problem. But then she continues, and I'm not pregnant with another man's child. I have been made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. Joseph is in this situation of hearing his should-be wife say to him, I'm carrying another child or a child that's not yours and it's from the Holy Spirit and the Bible says that Joseph decided to divorce her quietly you see because something happened in the middle Joseph never saw this happening this isn't how I saw this planned out. I, I, I've lived my life to honor God. I'm before the Lord. I want to see us have a great marriage. I want to see things go forward. I didn't see this happening. How do you handle when the things happen in between? This is Joseph's options. I want you to see his options today because how many know it's, it's, it's important to recognize what's in front of you? Here's what his options were. His options were permissive, proper, or perfect. Well, let me just explain this. Here's his permissive option. Option number one, he was permitted by law to have her stoned to death. Joseph was permitted by law to take her to a, public, to a public procession, to say publicly, this woman is pregnant and it's not my child. And according to Moses' law in Deuteronomy 22, bring her and the other person, but we can't find them because she says it was the Holy Spirit. Bring them before the people and to stone them publicly. He was permitted by the law to stone her. Do you know that sometimes we tend to operate in the moments when things don't go our way and the way we process is according to permission and we have the permission sometimes to get all upset. We have the permission to get angry. We have permission to raise our voice. We have permission. I have the right to let you know what I don't like about this situation and this is wrong. It's wrong the way you're treating me. It's wrong the way you're doing this. And I, we sometimes allow ourselves and give ourselves permission to act in ways that really don't make the situation better, but hey, we've got permission. Sometimes the way we process, he had permission that he could have killed her. He could have had her put to death, but instead he chose the one that was proper. This was the proper one. The proper one is I'll honor her. She's pregnant with another child, with a child that's not mine, but I'll be decent and honor her. I'll do a proper thing, and that is I'll divorce her quietly. I'll save face. I'll make it all 
look fine and I can just do something that would be proper. We can just split it down the middle. Easy divorce. You take half. I take half. Let's just wash our hands with this and be done. Let's just move on. I don't want this trouble. I don't want the headache. I don't want the hassle. I don't want the, I don't want the eyes on me. I don't want to have to explain this to people. I really don't want to do this. That's just divorce. Wash our hands and be done. That was the option he went with. But one night while he's sleeping, he found the third option. And the third option ended up being the perfect one. Instead of the permissive way that you can make your right and get your rights and do what you want, instead of just the proper way, let's just make all this look right and everything will be fine, just wash our hands of it. He fell asleep one day, and one night as he's sleeping, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came to him. And while he was sleeping, he came to him in a dream and said, Mary, or Joseph, Mary, who you are engaged to be married to, is telling you the truth. She has become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon her. Marry her, proceed, and move forward with the plans to marry her. Do you know it was because Joseph had a dream that it literally saved his future? So can I ask you a question? What are you doing with the space in between? And are you allowing yourself to find time to catch God's dream? How are you handling the space in between and are you catching God's dream for your life or are you just living in your own plans, your own ways because you can permit yourself because according to the way I'm being treated, according to the way this is happening, according to how this is, this is what my right is and you can live with permission and you can have the permissive way of life and you can put things to death. You can even have the proper way of life. You can divorce things. I'm just going to separate from it. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to divorce from it. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm afraid, though, there's too many Christians who have divorced from dreaming. They've divorced the dreams that God has for them because life has become so hectic, so difficult, and so hard that instead of allowing themselves to find rest in God and to learn how to catch God's dreams, that's where we find the perfect way and the perfect solution. Do you realize that the Christmas story was made effective and really put in place because there were people who had dreams? Even the wise men themselves, the Bible says that the wise men had gone to visit Herod and said, hey, where is the king of the Jews? Why not go to the palace? Why not go where the king is? We're looking for the king. We ought to go to the place that looks obvious. Let's go to see the king of the Jews. Herod is bothered by the news, and Herod says, hey, I want to know too. So he looks to the, the, those who are philosophers and those who knew the scriptures said, where's this, this king supposed to be born? They told him in the city of Bethlehem. And Herod, of course, says to the wise men, hey, when you find that baby king, come back and let me know where he is so that I can go and pay honor to him as well. His plan was to kill Jesus But because the wise men had a dream, it was a dream, and in the dream, they were told to go a different route home. And because of the dream, it literally saved saved Jesus. Now, God would have found another plan, because how many know God is perfect in all the ways that he does? But I want to ask you and I, have we given ourselves enough time to catch the dream that God has for our life? Are we just so hectic and so busy that we don't even have time to dream? We don't even have time to get the dream that God wants for our marriage, the dream that he wants for our future. I wonder, because there are times, God, we're asking God to fix things that God says, I really wish you would have asked me before you got into it. We tend to go with our life. We step into business, doing our plan. We do what we want, and then somewhere along the line, we say, hey, God, would you bless what we're doing? Hey, God, would you bless? I've got this in motion. God, would you bless? And God says, I really love to bless you. I wish you would have asked me before. There could be some things that we can set in motion, set in place. Let me ask you today, have you dreamed Do you have God's dream for your life? Are you catching God's dream for your life and what he has for you? You see, because your life is not just about how you start and how you end. That's a big deal. But you're really defined by how you live the space in between. Someday, 
I'm going to end this life. And probably somewhere on a stone or however that works, I don't know how it'll work. It'll say 1977 until whatever year that is. And everything about my life will be wrapped up in that space in between. Everything that defines who I am will be wrapped up in that space in between. You see, because how you handle things in between really develops and determines the character of who we are. It's how we handle the space in between. I want to challenge us today, and I pray this becomes a Christmas gift to us, that this Christmas and this season, let's learn to not be so busy and learn how to rest and know God's presence and know God's dream for our life. Because if you build a house, and if the Lord doesn't, isn't involved in it, the Bible says we labor in vain. We do it for nothing. We get together, we have church, we do what we do, and to what end? But our lives being defined by the moments that are in between. I don't know what kind of dreamer you are. I'm a vivid dreamer. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a daydreamer or a night dreamer, but you've got to be someone who gives yourself time to think on the things of God and allow God's thoughts to get inside of your head. Would you agree with that? Now, I'm a vivid night dreamer. Jody and I are much different. I think Jody has three dreams in our whole marriage that she's ever been able to tell me. Me, I've got a dream almost every night. In fact, it was last Friday. This was my dream. It started last Friday, uh, Friday night, but before I went to bed that night, Jody and I had come home from one of our shopping trips, and as we were driving into our neighborhood, in one of our neighbor's backyard was an eight-point buck. I looked at that thing and wish I had my flashlight. Some of you guys are like, I wish I had my gun. I'd just take a flashlight. I mean, I'm okay with shooting the thing and eating the thing. It's that space in between stuff. I don't want to touch it at all. I don't want anything to do with that. We saw this buck in the back of the yard there, and, and I thought, man, that's pretty impressive. I know why my dream happened that night. This was my dream that night. That night, I go to sleep, and as I'm dreaming, I have a dream that I am going hunting. I have taken my rifle for a walk, but I've never shot a thing. I don't have anything against it, but it's just not really my thing. And so I had this dream that I'm going hunting, and sure enough, guess what I find? An eight-point buck in the back of my neighbor's yard. So it's in my dream, and so this is my dream. And I remember having this in my mind, like I am going to shoot something for the first time. I am going to shoot something, then, and I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do with it after that. I have no idea. But in my dream, I'm going hunting. I pull out the rifle. I shoot the thing, and literally in my dream, it's a dream, it's a dream, okay? So everybody knows it's a dream. And in my dream, I watch the pellet bounce off of the deer's chest. I was hunting with a BB gun. I don't know why I dream this. I don't know why in the world I have this kind of vision at night. I, and I woke up, in fact, that morning I'm having devotion. I'm like, Lord, are you speaking to me in this dream? What is it? I don't know that it was a direct dream from the Lord, but I said back to God, I said, God, help me that whenever you call me to do something, to take the right, infor or to take the right weapon and the right resources, because if I'm hunting with a BB gun, we're not going to do much. I don't know how vivid your dreams are. But when it comes to the things of God, do you have God-sized dreams? Do you see your marriage with God's dreams or do you see your marriage with the way it's always been? Do you see your business with God's purpose or do you see it just as I need to make more money, I need to do something else? Do you see your future, your family with God's vision and God's dream? Do you see in God's perspective because God designed us to know his perfect, pleasing will. See, the Bible says in Romans that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. 
but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That there's a pattern that we continue in. And here's the pattern. When you get so good at a pattern, how many know you don't, th- you don't have to think about it anymore? When you just do a pattern, you don't have to consider it anymore. It just happens. I just wake up in the morning. I just go to my job. I just do my thing. I just happen. Life happens. I get into arguments. It's just always, I just always, you already know the routine. Some of you have been in arguments and you've said things like, I knew you were going to say that. It's your pattern. We've got a pattern. We're just so patterned and rhythmed to how we do things. What about maybe changing the pattern and thinking differently? Instead of just letting the routine happen, how about giving some consideration and saying, God, I need you to speak into this. I need you to show me a different perspective. I need you to give me God-sized dreams, your dream, your purpose, what you have for me in this, because right now I'm living it my way, and my way isn't that good. Unless you're still good at your way. But if you are, it'll only take time. You'll figure out it doesn't work your way. If your way right now is working, I'll tell you, it's only going to work for a little while. But at some moment, when we learn how to dream again, you see, kids know how to dream. Kids can just look up into the sky and see clouds and call it something. But we've not even looked up at the clouds too recent because we're too busy looking at the ground. Kids can look and imagine and see things, and you watch kids play with toys, and they're so childish. They make toys do things that, you know, these toys are fighting, these toys are whatever they are, they're imagining, they're putting these toys in action. But we've lost the ability to do that because we've grown up. And there's certain things we've got to grow up and quit doing. But why did catching imagination and God's dream have to be one of them? Why do we have to quit believing that God sees something different in our circumstance, different in our future, different in the circumstance that's around us to believe, to be able to allow ourselves to catch God's dreams? Here's what happens when we become people who dream. I just give you these four things, and I don't know how you respond and and what it is, but my prayer is that we wouldn't just live with permission or we wouldn't just live in proper, but that we would live in the perfect will of God, that we catch his dream, his vision that he has for our lives. If it's going to happen, here's what takes place when we dream. Number one, we become selfless. Because when I dream, I allow my mind to be focused on God. And how many know that when my mind is focused on God, it's going to cause me to focus on the things that honor and please God? One of the things that when my mind is not on God, my mind is probably, if it's not on God, it's probably on me. And even if you might say, well, no, it's on other people. It's on other people. Well, it's on other people because of what other people can do for me. I uh, know that we can be good people at doing things, but busyness is really just an ego thing. You've heard me say, and some people have said to me, they said, I know you're busy, and I know you don't like to hear that, because I made a statement before, and I had to acknowledge this. The only reason I liked being busy was because when I was busy, it made me look like I had had an opportunity to be looked by people as doing good things, and I want people to look at me a certain way. And if you look at me like I'm busy, well, it's good for my ego because if you look at me that way, then you get to see all that I do. Look what I'm doing. Here's the problem, that when you look at what I'm doing, it doesn't give any space for you to look at what God's doing. When I'm so busy and it's all about what I'm, did you see what I did? You see what my hands are on? You see what I gave? You see what I'm doing? See what I'm about? See what I'm happening? See about me? See me? See me? See me? See me? Did you see me? Aren't I a wonder? I mean, aren't I a wonder? How could God use Look, It's me. But being so busy, so active, so much. Here's what happens when we're busy. When we're busy, we make an impression. But when we learn how to rest, we make an impact. 
Because when I'm resting, I'm now able to do something with resources that are not my own, but resources that come from God. I receive something that comes from Him. That He allows us that when we rest, that we become people who are selfless. Why? Because when we become God-focused, it moves us in a place that our world becomes bigger than just us. I hope this Christmas that you're not just content with being busy. I'm sure you've got a great profession and a great job and you've got a lot of stuff to do. But I want to challenge you at the end of 2017, getting ready for 2018, are there some things you maybe need to take off your schedule because you've got everybody's attention but God doesn't have yours? You've got everybody's attention of what you're doing but God doesn't have yours. Everybody knows what club you're in. Everybody knows what, what parents group you're in. Everybody knows what things you're doing. Everybody knows what all's going on. And everybody's got your attention or you've got everybody's attention but God doesn't have yours. I would encourage us to make sure we set aside that time to not just be focused on doing things, but what God would have us to do. When we dream, we become selfless. Number two, when we dream, we become still. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. When you are still, we're in a place of rest. When we become still, that's in a moment that we become motionless so that God can be full of motion in our lives. When we become of less motion, it allows God to have more motion. When we're at a place of our vulnerability, it allows God to be at the place of his strength. When we're at a place of our in, uh, of where, where we're resting in him, it gives us a strength that is not our own. I love what, what Hezekiah prays, and as he goes through in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Hezekiah is being attacked by armies that are coming against him. Here's the, the summary of it. Hezekiah says to God, he goes to prayer, after he calls everyone to pray and fast, he says, pray and fast because we're under attack. And Hezekiah then goes before God, and he says, God, you gave us this land. You drove out these people, and now they're coming to take us. And you said to our descendants that if they call to you, that you'll hear them and you'll answer them. And he said, God, help us. We need you to help us. Hezekiah prays to God, and the word comes back to Hezekiah. I love what the Lord says. The Lord says to Hezekiah, he says, take tomorrow, take your position. Tomorrow, take your position. Do nothing but stand still and watch my hand deliver for you. Stand still, take your position, and here's your position. Stand still. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it my position? Put them up, put them up, put them up, put them up. Come on, put them up. Isn't my position supposed to be, I've got to work, got to do something? He said, take your position tomorrow, stand still, and watch me work. I wonder sometimes if we're so busy working, we don't have time to watch God wonder. If we're so busy working, we don't have time to watch God's wonders. Our job is not to work. Our job is to watch God work, let God work, and sit back and stand in wonder and amazement of all that God is able to do, to reflect and to give glory to who God is. Now, I don't mean you just sit on your hands and do nothing, but what I mean is let's not be so good that we're always the one working and we never have time to stop and let God work. That it's always what we're doing and what we're a part of. There's moments, do you know how to be still? Because it's hard to catch a dream if you're not still. It's hard to catch a dream if you're not letting your mind rest. You know what it's like to wake up at 2.30 in the morning with a thought on your mind and it's hard to fall back to sleep because you're just thinking about that. Don't judge me. There's moments where in having to learn, you know what I have to, I have to recognize? I have to fight for peace. Well, that doesn't even sound right. 
doesn't even sound right, but I have to fight for peace. You know why? Because I have to take captive the thoughts that lift themselves against the knowledge of Christ. I need to fight to take hold of what is truth and allow the things that are not of truth to wash off, to become pushed away. I've got to fight to hold on truth. Truth is not always easy to hold on to because it's clouded by a whole bunch of lies and deception. And you know what deception is? Deception is even things that have a little bit of truth in them. That we get caught up on a little bit of truth. I'll have people, man, I, I know you probably have been in here. I'm, I'm, I've got a weakness, and so forgive me because I tend to just be vulnerable. When someone says something about me, I know. There are some people, they're like, oh, just rub it off. Don't even think about it. I don't have what you have. I mean, you got a I don't care kind of attitude. Like, you're good at anything you can do, and you don't, those words don't bother you. But you know what? When someone says something to me about how I do and what I do, I'm like, oh, God, I'm a failure. Does that mean I am? No, but it means the enemy's putting these things that come against, and we've got to sort through those. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that comes to those points and those places that you have to fight for the peace to say, I know that my hope and my anchor is in Christ. And I've got to fight for those moments to learn how to be still. I've got to learn how to be still. I love what he said to Hezekiah. Take your position. Be still and watch me work. May we learn that. Do you have moments of being still? Are you so busy from sunup to sundown? I mean, you can't let that phone get too far out of your reach, right? Because someone might text you and really want to share a story with you or something. I'm sure they got a kitty cat they want you to see. There's something you've got to, you've got to check this out. I don't know. I just picked it. Tim, don't. Just leave me alone. It's my sermon. Get your own. <laughs> what is it that sometimes we can't shut it off? And I've had to learn this too because I love sometimes of having ideas and things and I'll sit down at night in my chair and I'll pull out the laptop and I'll start working on something. Guess what happens about 1 a.m.? I can't shut this thing off and go to sleep. And you know what happens the next day? I'm tired. Do you know how wise that was? Not. Wasn't wise. I've got to build those boundaries and some of those boundaries that I've got to build in there is moments of being still. Moments of being quiet. Sometimes I even have to learn how to be quiet without the television. Now, if there's a good football game, that's hard. But if it's a bad football game, I got this. Shut it off. I don't want to watch it. Hopefully at 4 o'clock today, it will be the start of a great football game, and we won't have to shut it off until the Steelers beat the Patriots. Let me, oh, I got more amens on that than anything. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, I am in western Pennsylvania. That's right. <laughs> Let me give you number three. Be still. Number three is this, that when we learn to dream, we become silent. Silent is not something we're good at unless we're giving someone the treatment. Silent is not something we're good at unless we want somebody to make a statement to somebody. Silence is hard. Have you ever been in a conversation where you can't get a word in edgewise? And you want to try to talk and wait. I got, uh, let me explain to me. I wonder what God is like when we're praying, God, I need you to answer this. God, I've got this. God, I've got that. God, I've got, and God's like, well, if you just shut up once, I'd like to tell you. I know some of you are like, God would never say shut up. <laughs> I don't know. God said, if you, just, if you just stop for a moment, I'd like you to hear something that you're praying for me to fix it like this, but if you'll be quiet and silent, I could speak to you and give you a whole different perspective. Silence and isolation is a spiritual discipline that we've got to work on. 
We've got to learn how to create moments of silence in our life. I am not an anti-technology. I love having the technology, resources, social media, all that stuff good. But my problem with it is that we've not learned how to put boundaries on it. We don't know how to keep it at a distance, how to put it in moments and times. We literally have our phone set to notifications so it can vibrate or ding to let us know that someone likes something on our page. That's kind of a problem. That if we feel the need that we have to be notified when someone likes something, there's something wrong with that. That I'm so driven by the noise and the engagement that I can't create any silent moment. And if I'm not creating any silent moment, then I'm probably not creating room for God to give me his dreams. And if I'm not getting God's dreams for my life, then I might just be settling for my permissive way, the proper way, when God says, I want you to know the perfect way. I want you to know this plan that I have for you. But God, they didn't do this for me. They wouldn't let this happen. They're mean to me. This isn't working. God's saying, if you'll listen to me, I'd like to show you something far better. There's, there's permissive and there's something. Paul will even say this. Hey, all things are permissive, but not all things are beneficial. There's certain things you're permitted to. You can. You can hold on to that grudge. You can keep that boundary up. You can hold on to that. All things are permissive, but it's not going to benefit you in the long run. It's not going to lead you in the path that is, that is straight and perfect and what God has for your life. You've got to learn to be silent. And here's the last thing, that whenever we dream, we become people who dream, we become strengthened. And here's what strengthened does. It gives us a resource that comes from someone other than ourselves. When I rest, it gives me a strength that's not my own. Notice whenever Joseph rested, while he was dreaming, the Lord said to him, and you will call his name Jesus. You're going to give him a name Jesus. Whenever you rest, it gives you the ability to get back to what you were supposed to do in the first place. When Adam reached a point in life that he was doing what he was doing, and then God looked at him and God said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, man. What did God do? God put Adam into a sleep. And when God put Adam asleep, he took a rib from his side and he created Eve, the beginning of life. He created Eve and then it said of Eve that she'll be a helpmate to do what? To help you keep doing what you were supposed to do. What is that? Name things. Get back to doing what you're supposed to do. Sometimes you're so busy at doing what you're doing that you've gotten off the track of doing what God called you to do. And you're not naming the things that God told you to name. You're not speaking things that are not as though they were. You're not speaking in faith. You're not doing in faith. You're not living in faith. You're not working in faith. You're not living in relationships in faith. You're just doing out of repetition and pattern. You're just doing the way you've always done. It's just the way it's always happened, the way it's always happened. But when you learn how to rest in God and catch his vision, catch his dream, you start now living in faith and not just in routine. You start living in purpose and not just habit. You start doing and naming what God has said. You say there's things in your life that there's turmoil. Oh, there's not turmoil. I'm going to speak those things that are not as though they were. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to have the God vision for my life. I'm going to catch God's dream. I'm not going to say Fayette County's got issues. I'm going to say God's got a plan for Fayette County. I'm going to say God's up to something big. I'm not going to say that there's marriages that seems like marriage is falling apart. They're on the rise. I'm not going to say that marriages are falling apart. I'm saying that God's about to strengthen homes like they've never been strengthened before. I'm going to speak those things that are not as though they were. I'm going to get back to what I was supposed to do and that's to name things. It's to call things 
things according to God's purpose, according to what he has for us. Because if you get so busy just doing life, you'll just do life out of habit and out of repetition. And you'll never have time to consider the process to let God do what God wants to do. I want to close with this story. I read it in an email from another pastor just this week. And the story goes like this, that mom was on her way doing the shopping thing it's Christmas, got to get all the stuff that's needed from store to store, mall to mall, parking lot to parking lot, everything that's got to happen her four year old son is with her how many know that's already a problem mom is moving and moving and moving and mom says to the kid, they're walking down the mall mom says come on let's go, we got to go and the little kid's moving along but he's moving a little slower all of a sudden his mom's in a hurry from one place to the next. She recognizes that her son has let go of her hand and he's no longer holding her hand. She stops and finds him a couple stores back with his nose scrunched up against the window, looking into the window. Mom yells back at her son, says, come on, let's go, let's move. The boy looks back at mom and smiles. Mom, come look at this. He's looking through the window of the store. Mom, come look at this. She says, no, come on, we've got to go, let's go. He says, but mom, look. Mom is finally fed up with it. She goes back to where the kid is. She takes him by the arm. She said, I said, let's go. And he starts to move. And he says, but mom, look, it's baby Jesus. And she says, we don't have time for that. And I know it's just a picture of a story that we're so busy, but let me ask you this Christmas, have you built in enough silent nights to have a time for that? To let it be about what this is all about, that the day that Jesus came, and not just let it be a moment, but let it be the consideration of what a moment it is, of what it means, of the implications, because he came, what my marriage will become because he came, what my home will be because he came, what my finances will be because he came. Can you imagine what God wants to do when we catch his dreams? Do you know what God wants to do when we silence our nights enough, silence some moments in time to catch his dream? Or have you filled the space in between with a whole lot of stuff that you've just caught up in routine? You've caught up, you're living with permission, you're living with proper, but you're not living in his perfect. You're not living in what he has for you. And I believe this, that as a church, when we learn how to have some silent nights, when we learn to build some silence into our life, that we can catch the dream that God has. And we can take the step that is God's calling. And we can see the work that is God's wonder when we catch the dream that God has.